0: Leanne Tran, psychologist who's worked with families whose kids don't fit the mould for almost 20 years. I've worked with children for decades, but I know parents are the real change makers when it comes to their kids. Having three kids of my own means I know it's not easy. Parent Like a Psychologist is all about simplifying how you support your kids, with psychology information filtered through years of experience to take you from overwhelmed to confident Come on in. Dr. Sharomi, good morning. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Cheers. Thanks for
0: having me. Um, I want to introduce you quickly to the audience to start with. So you've been a doctor for 15 years. Um, you're a fellow of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, and you've done extra study um, in psychological strategies. That's really exciting as a psychologist to hear that. Um, other people are learning these things too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, mental health is my absolute passion. So um, it's one of my favourite consults in GP land.
0: Excellent. Um, So you're passionate about mental health and a strong advocate for empowering your patients. And that's why you've created um, Cloud GP, the Cloud GP, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. So the Cloud GP is a a new sort of innovative idea. It's an online self-directed uh, mental health program for those patients who are have gone in to see their GP and they've got a new diagnosis of depression or anxiety and they've called up their psychologist after getting their referral and they've found out that they've got a, I don't know, six to eight week wait up to a few months if you're living in regional Australia. Mm. Um, so our program is all about, it's almost a stepping stone, if you will, to help patients stay engaged and learning and to start feeling better sooner rather than later. Um, because we find that. If we can equip patients with skills and knowledge and help them understand their condition and teach them some practical psychology skills, by the time they come around to seeing that psychologist, they can almost hit the ground running and get sort of accelerated outcomes. So it's a lot of what I do in GP land, to be honest, is looking after my patients in that interim period between giving them that referral, diagnosing them, giving that them that referral, and then looking after them until they see the the psychologist or the social worker or OT that's looking after their mental health.
0: Mm. It can be a long wait. Um, I can't, I was in rural Queensland last week and a family were talking about a four to six month wait list for their child. Um Boy. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same for adults, but it's great to have that um resource in the meantime. That's kind of like what I'm trying to provide in my program, but for kids as well. So yeah. in that time before seeing somebody to delve into the specifics.
1: No, I think it's really important. I think the worry is, especially with depression and anxiety, if we don't get patients, normally when people come to see me, they're in action mode, right? People don't come to see me proactively very often. I wish they did. Mm. But often when people come to see me, there's a reason they've come to see me. They've tried doing all the things and it's not quite working out. And then they're at a point where their relationship is on the rocks or they've been called in for a performance review with their boss and things aren't looking great, Um and the, the issue I have with that wait time is that if we leave patients unsupported for that period of time, then the overwhelming self-doubt creeps back and it's not unusual for someone to go, you know what, this is all too much and then we've lost them. They might not come back in to see us or to get help for months, you know, or years even, or maybe they'll never come back again. So. You know, when you are ready to get the help, that's when we need to act and help you and, you know, support you. We do it with every other medical condition. If someone comes in to see me for smoking sensation, I will counsel them and connect them with CritLine and do all the things. And, you know, we might prescribe some nicotine replacement therapy then and there. I never say to someone, oh, well, why don't you come and see me in three months' time? That would be a terrible thing to do for that person's well-being. And yeah. Mental health is no different. Yeah. yeah,
0: that really puts it into context um, for me about, yeah, we, we don't think about mental health in the same way as we think about physical health a lot of the time. Um, but I think, too, we've talked before about how preparation is um, can limit the worries and nerves people have about seeing somebody for the first time as well. Um, and I think that your program actually would be great at doing that before seeing a psychologist as well. Um because it's kind of that preparation of what it's gonna be like and and that kind of thing, um, but we can get to that a bit more at the end because today we're going to be yeah. talking about um preparing for a successful g p mental health consultation um, I think we've had a little zoom raid there. <laughs> But um, so preparing for that mental health care plan consultation, and I think knowing what to expect will help parents um, a lot. So either they're seeking for their own mental health or sometimes they come for their kids as well. But um, why, when do you think someone should engage with their own GP? You mentioned a Yeah, bit look, that. that's a great question. Yeah, sorry, I've cut you off. I was just saying you did mention. Yeah, a bit look, about- it's
1: a very- no, that's okay,
0: that's okay. <laughs> I'll let you
1: speak as it <laughs> Look, I think that's a really important point. When should you connect with a GP? And in an ideal world, to be honest, now, yesterday, right? Mm. Everyone should have a GP, and I think, especially when we talk about mental health, it's it's really important to have a good GP. And ideally, you connect with a GP before you even start struggling with symptoms i want everyone to have a good gp and the reason i say that is that having this self-doubt and feeling blame and feeling guilty and all of that it's really hard to um to come in and talk to us especially if you don't know us you are worried that you'll be judged sometimes you feel like a failure even though you shouldn't and there's that reluctance is is there and so if yeah. you've already got an established relationship with someone and you see them as a friend it's so much easier to come in to say hey doc you know i am not doing great and this is what's going on it's much harder to do that when you haven't met someone so yeah ideally everyone who you know especially with the parents that are trying to manage kids that may be unwell looking after your mental health we know is paramount to you being able to provide for for your family and for your kids so it's something I think should be on everyone's sort of list of things to do.
0: Mm. I um, had had a GP since I was maybe five through to when yeah. I was 40, same yeah. GP. She's recently retired, which is um, a real shame for me. It's probably great for her. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I I think it really did make a difference having that person who was familiar with me um, and i did feel comfortable talking about those things uh those vulnerable things we all go through um but now i'm in the market for a new one what should i be looking for what can people look for to find a good gp
1: yeah look that's a great question and it's tricky like i want to put a disclaimer on that because when i started my training in general practice and people come and see me and say oh look you know you're not going anywhere and you're not having any kids because I, i found a great GP. I didn't quite understand, like obviously it's a lovely compliment, but I've worked with amazing colleagues and I trained with amazing doctors and had lots of friends that were GPs and I didn't quite get it. And that's because I didn't have a good GP myself. And it wasn't until I, you know, um, you know, got out of my 20s, I got into my 30s when I had a child and I developed a few chronic health issues and realized it's probably a good idea to see someone myself. Mm. It took me three attempts to find a great GP and It's not that the previous GPs were bad. It's that the relationship didn't quite click. And that's the thing I think we have to acknowledge is that it's not just about someone with the credentials and having those certificates on the wall and knowing what they're doing. That's most certainly a part of it. You have to trust that the person in front of you is making good health decisions for you and is comprehensive and listens and all of that. That's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is a personality aspect. Mm. You know, we want someone that we feel comfortable around I'm a sort of GP that is fairly energetic and I will challenge my patients and have that sort of relationship. You might want someone that's a bit older and nurturing and that's completely okay. You might want someone from a particular cultural background or someone that has a subspecialty in an area of interest, whether it's mental health or paediatrics or whatever it may be. So Mm. looking at what's important to you, um, I've got a patient that comes to see me. Because she read on my profile that I have a Labrador named Snickers, <laughs> she sees me for anxiety. But we connect. On, we connect on that on that dog aspect of things. If we need a bit of an icebreaker, we'll have a chat about our pups and what naughtiness they've got up to. And for her, mm. that connection really helps. So I think one thing to do is to really look at what you need as an individual and feel free to sort of find those those criteria within who you're looking for. Asking friends, I think, is a great idea because often if your friend gels or, you know, likes the personality of a GP, then you're likely to as well. Uh, Most certainly you can go online and look at reviews, but, you know, there are some that are great, there are some that aren't great, and that can be because someone's agenda isn't met. So just make sure that you're using them with caution. And then the other thing that I would often suggest is to speak to reception, which I think is a really underutilised Avenue for finding a GP that you might personally click with. So Mm. we have, you know, we catch up with our reception staff in the morning. We see them in the afternoon. They see us, you know, operating during the day and they see us managing emergencies. And they actually get the goss out the front when people go to sort out the appointment as well about what we're actually like. So they know our personalities and our strengths. So if you want to call up and say, look, I'm wanting to see someone who has a special interest in X and someone who has this kind of personality, I think that they can direct
0: you pretty well. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think about that when people ask me for recommendations about some of the doctors I work with too, that it's um, it's reception know a lot, don't they? <laughs> totally. So the personality and that kind of value or approach is what I go by rather than credentials because most people are equally validly trained. Um But it's the connection that makes the difference. And it's true with psychology as well, that that connection needs to be there in the first couple of appointments or um, you just don't form that relationship.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The number one thing I get asked whenever I do a referral, whether it's to a psychologist or an orthopedic surgeon or whomever is, oh, and I say, oh, who would you like? Do you have any preferences on who you'd like to see? Thinking that they might say male or female, this or that or whatever is, oh, could you send me to someone who's nice? Like that's, right. like, that's <laughs> always the request. Yep. So, you know, looking at personality and getting that vibe is, is so important. And, You can suss GPs out. Remember that. You don't need to leave it to the big, scary mental health appointment if you're worried about that particular appointment. There are so many things that we see our GPs for. You might see someone for a flu shot or a pap smear or, you know, you might take your kids in to get their ears reviewed after having a a chest infection. And so utilise those appointments to suss someone out because I reckon within two minutes you get a really good sense of whether you are going to click with someone or not. So Mm -hmm. use those appointments where, you know, The personality of your GP might not be as important for a gastro, for instance, if you need a medical certificate for work, look up the GPs and and look at someone who you think you'd like to see in the long term. And then when you're unwell or you want to get a preventative health thing done, like a flu shot,
0: go in and see whether you have that general rapport with them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great idea. Try it. Try that interaction when it's not as make or break for you or not as um, stressful if you're coming for a... Yeah. To talk about things you feel vulnerable, vulnerable exactly. about. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: exactly right. That's the game
0: plan. Yeah. Um, great idea. So I've learned a few things already I can implement for myself. I'm going to go browse some GP websites <laughs> now. And <laughs> if only you weren't local to me, Dr. Shirai, <laughs> I would be knocking on your door. <laughs> um, the other thing we, I wanted to ask about is what um patients can do to prepare for that specific mental health consultation
1: yeah that's such a good question look i think preparation brings confidence right if we know what Mm. we're about to get to whether it's a mental health appointment or anything in life we feel a bit more at ease approaching that particular topic Mm. I think one of the things that we need to understand is the questions. You're going to be asked a lot of questions when you step into that GP office, and we've got a free resource which we'll link to your listeners afterwards. But to kind of go through it, when you step in to see the GP, the first thing that they're going to do is try and diagnose you with a particular condition because Mm -hmm. in medicine the rule is we treat the cause. Right, And it's the same with mental health. So it's a bit more easy to understand if we were to give sort of an analogy to do with abdominal pain, for instance, you can have tummy pain, but the cause of that tummy pain might be endometriosis, it might be appendicitis, it might be gallbladder issues. Mm. And so the treatment for all of those conditions is obviously quite different. And if we kind of, there's no one treatment for abdominal pain, right? And it's the exact same when it comes to different conditions within mental health. So with depression and anxiety, it might be depression, it might be anxiety, it might be a mishmash, it might be a different mental health condition like bipolar. It might Mm. actually be what we call an organic medical condition that mimics and looks like depression or anxiety, except it's not. So it might be a thyroid issue. It might be low iron caused by heavy periods or low dietary intake. So your GP is going to ask you a heap of questions to begin with related to your mental health most certainly and the symptoms that we often see with depression and anxiety, but they're going to also be asking about questions to do with things like, you know, whether you've had a chronic cough or when you have your past medical history, whether you've had any night sweats, whether you've lost weight recently, um, and all these questions that you might think, gosh, that's a bit weird. Why are they going on about that? And it's to do with our kind of investigations and puzzle forming to figure out what's going on. With that might come an exam. We might sort of examine your thyroid. We might listen to your chest. Uh, we might organise them. Often we'll organise blood tests, mm-hmm. and that is to exclude those other potential causes. Yeah, And then we will sort of move on with a sort of a management plan. So... A lot of what we're preparing you for here is to to expect those questions. And they don't need you don't need to do anything really to step into a GP office. But if you know where those questions are coming, often you can think about it. So step one is us trying to get a, a medical diagnosis. So that would be the yeah. first thing. I think the other thing to expect in terms of questions and to prepare for is that we're more than likely going to ask you about your lifestyle. So we're going to ask you about your diet, exercise, sleep alcohol, drug use, all of those questions. Mm -hmm. And it's not because we're prying and we're just interested in a bit of goss about what's going on with you. It's because lifestyle factors play a very big role in terms of managing depression and anxiety. Right. So there's a good chance that, you know, we're not going to do everything in the one important, but important to figure out, okay, you um, have a regime, you don't really exercise, that's completely okay, right? We, We know that that's going to be the answer for many and we're not here to judge you. It's that when we come back to a management plan, we might help you manage things from a lifestyle point of view, from a psychology point of view, and we might have a discussion about medication, but we sort of try and manage you as holistically as possible. So there's probably going to be some questions there about your lifestyle, how much you drink, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and then things that you think may have contributed you feeling like you've got depression or anxiety to try and figure Mm -hmm. out what are the stressors in your life are you how's work going how are relationships going have you are you looking after kids that are unwell um and and how are you managing all of that so your current situation and your past medical past sort of social history as well so uh how where where did you grow up and what was your family dynamics like and did you deal with a loss of a parent when you were younger or did you deal with bullying at school all of that can impact how we manage you in terms of after we've made the diagnosis. Because, again, with depression and anxiety and any other mental health condition, we're here to treat you as a person. We're not here to treat depression, the condition. And mm. so if we know that you've struggled with things in the past or you've got a lot of stresses in your life, then we're going to help you manage that.
0: Yeah, that's that really helps, I think. And I experience this in psychology sometimes because I'm not asking medical questions like uh, or ordering blood tests, but often those lifestyle factors about things like sleep and exercise and, and that kind of thing is um, sometimes those are the symptoms of things like anxiety and depression as well, uh, like sleeping problems or not yes. doing yes. things you used to enjoy. But it does also build a picture then for how to help because you know what a person's life is like. And so, one of the things with depression is trying to, um, you know, create or add in a little bit of activation and movement there. And if you know somebody's doing nothing compared to somebody who's doing a lot already, you're going to know how to best choose what to recommend.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's about providing that tailored advice and that tailored management plan. We're never going to ask someone to start marathon running if they've never exercised before. We might have yeah. a chat to them about what their work life is like and if they can get off the tram one stop earlier and do a walk to work, you know, a few times a week, right? If they can go for a walk around the block once, then like, that's where we start from in this yeah, situation. exactly. So it doesn't need to be this intimidating, scary step. And once we've established that when well, we can slowly start building. And the same goes for diet as well. You know, mm-hmm. if you're someone that hence not to eat your serves of fruit and veggies we might just try incorporating that into a few meals a week and then slowly building up from there and and assisting you so it's not there to to make you feel awful that's the last thing that we want to do It's to help you yeah in that holistic wellness
0: yeah and i agree that in this case the preparation is what i you had a really good catchphrase for it preparation is key or, or something like that but um because often the questions can seem out of left yeah. field for people and if they know now a little bit about why. Yeah, no,
1: that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I think the other thing, thing to
1: consider is, um, sorry, I, yeah, I missed half of what you're saying. So that's okay. I'm just okay. pushing along like a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a bit of a discord in what you just asked and what I'm talking about now, but that's the explanation as to why. I think. I think the other thing that it helps to have a heads up with when you are coming to see the GP for your mental health is goal setting. It's right. a part of the mental health care plan preparation, sort of the paperwork, the bureaucratic paperwork that we have to do with GPs to get you those subsidised sessions with the psychologist. And it's a question that often stumps people, which I completely understand. Um mm. You know, no one's expecting a question about what their goals are in three to six months to come at a random Friday afternoon and when you haven't thought about it. Yeah. But a big part of the mental health consult is creating goals. And I actually think it's really important because I'll have goals as a GP, right? Like I might measure your blood pressure and and have goals for that to improve your cardiac health and re- reduce your risk of stroke or a heart attack. But your personal goals when it comes to your mental health and wellbeing are actually really important because it means that we create a management and treatment plan that focuses in on what you want to achieve, mm. which, is, which is key to keeping you engaged, right? So if you really want to work on your relationship issues with your partner if you are sort of losing it with the kids and you your big goal of yours is to try and find the time and space to be able to connect with them and be a more present parent then that's really going to be a part of the focus of how we manage you and the thing i love my favorite consult in gp land is actually the mental health care plan review appointment which we do in maybe three to six months from that initial one and we sit down And you put in all the hard work, you've done all the lifestyle things and you're seeing your psychologist or or psychology provider and it's tough work. We sit down and we go, oh, let's have a look at what our goals were initially and see where you're at now. And it's so lovely for people to reflect on their goals and to see and go, yeah, actually, you know, I went on date night with hubby. Brilliant. Or now my child and I now connect and we, we go for a milkshake on Friday afternoons after school and we chat about this and that and... We put some things in place so that we can, we can talk and we garden together or those are the things. And that's the reason why working in this space in mental health is so, is so beautiful because we get to see people live their best lives, which is really yeah. lovely. And, and then that creates this positive reinforcement. So patient, patients go, Oh, if I put in the work and I do these things, then this is the outcome. And then that helps us build motivation and drive to keep pushing on and keep sort of improving and growing as people.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I love that part of work as well, seeing people um, yeah. yeah, like achieve their goals, but also, like you said, just living their best life, um, being happy and fulfilled is awesome. So another question I had just from yeah, that is... Yeah, it is the best,
1: isn't it? It's definitely the warm and fuzzy.
0: Yep. <laughs> so, yes, definitely warm and fuzzies. The question I had, I wondered, because... Uh, I do this thing where I think lots of things at once. Um, It's a psychology habit, I think. Uh, The other thing I think is helpful is that you can then maybe pick a psychologist that might help if you have identified the goals and what you want to work on. It can help you pick the person to see. Um, But I wondered, too, from your experience, if you have Mm. any suggestions of um, goals that you commonly come up with 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 patients, because I think sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming to think about the goals in that um, first consult. Do you have some examples that might help people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that our goals that we set as GPS are often very different to patient goals. Mm. And so we might say we want you, you know, we want a reduction in symptoms. We want to reduce, you know, improve mood. We want all of that. But from a really practical point of view, in terms of what you want. Look at the things that are causing you to stress. So from a social point of view, are you really struggling to catch up with friends? Are you finding that when they call you, you just don't want to come out and get out of the house and you don't want to be that person you used to be like that? And that's something you want to improve. Mm. You know, when we talk about work, you might find that you're really struggling with concentration or you're feeling really overwhelmed when you need to present. It can be something as as small and as as practical as that, but, but Looking at the things that keep you up at night, you know, often with the people, whoever struggles with mental health, the relationship with our partner and worries about that, it might be work stressors, it might be friendships and relationships, it might be financial stresses and and the fact that we ruminate about these things so much that we become unproductive. Mm. So looking at what your particular stresses are and actually jotting them down. You know, even in the week prior to seeing us, and looking at that, and being like, okay, what what in this can I can I actually look to improve? Yeah. What would I like to stop doing? That you know, I want to be able to compartmentalize that worry so that it doesn't take over my whole day. So that I can, you know, perhaps maybe you start journaling and things like that. So it might be skills that you want to learn. It might be certain traits in your personality that you wish you could improve. It might be relationships, mm. um, so look at those things that constantly cause you upset or distress, and drop them down. And then we can, even if you're about a specific goal, your GP can come up with a goal that's to we really often psychology session. We all know that. So coming up with, or even within a few months, on a big goal, we kind of break it down into steps and we consider the first step to be the first goal. Um, But coming up with realistic uh, expectations is really important as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a great um, suggestion. So focusing on the practical or functional day-to-day things you'd like to be different, I guess, that can keep in mind what you would like your life to be like instead of what it is now. And just making it realistic, one one step,
1: the first step. Right. And also looking at things within, or I think we're going over the top of each other, apologies. Down, are we in our control? I think the mistake sometimes we make in in creating goals is that we write down goals or or think about goals that aren't in our control. So, an example might be a goal that might not be in your control control might be i want to get this promotion right there are so Mm -hmm. many other factors that will influence that it might be that the people that are employing you are looking for someone different or whatever it may be but a more practical goal that is within your control might be to improve your cv or to do some courses or whatever it may be so that you are a great potential candidate so sometimes we don't achieve our goals because they're goals that aren't within our control, and you can't control the world around you. You often can't con- you can't control other people. So, creating goals that are specific to what we can achieve as as people.
0: Yep, that's great advice. Yeah, I think it helps distill it into that really practical way of thinking about it. And I like the tip of thinking about it before you go as well, mm-hmm. because I'm a person, and lots of people are, where on the spot you just can't think it through. Oh, so
1: totally funny in headlight situation, right?
0: Yep, <laughs> that's right. So you've also got uh, a resource um, for families about that, the um, First Steps. No, that's not right.
1: You're yeah. right. I'll go on uh, to So, yeah, so our resource, the free resource that we've got mm. is called Mental Health Care Plan Preparation Resource. Yeah. I've got a lot of mental health care plans because it's my special interest. I love early intervention in mental health. And all of my patients, nearly all of them who come in for a mental health consult, get this form to go and fill out before at home and then come in. And what that does is a few things. It goes through a lot of the questions that we explained at the the start in terms of the clinical history taking that we take about questions about your mental health and questions about your physical well-being and lifestyle and setting goals and contributing factors and all that sort of thing. But it allows you to go home and do that over a cuppa, right? Because yeah. it's so much easier and you feel so much less judged and overwhelmed to do it at home in written form often than when you are on the spot being asked 101 questions by someone you might not know that well. So we ask that you, I ask that you go home and fill that out and think about those goals, think about contributing factors and, and all of that sort of thing. And then bring that resource in and we'll provide a link to um, your lovely listeners so they can download that. And that does a few things in terms of the quality of the GP appointment. To be frank, because obviously the GP may ask further questions; they, they most certainly will. But it gives them a good base of and good foundations to understand what you're dealing with, mm. and to understand it in real terms. It's not unusual for someone to come in, and the moment they step into sort of to step into my office, they almost hit interview mode. Where sometimes they're not completely truthful about how awful things actually are, or what they're actually dealing with, because. They go into interview mode and just kind of play everything down. Yeah. And we don't want that. We want you to be as honest as possible. So, answering those questions at home when you're less stressed and less in the moment can actually really help. It allows me as a GP to collate all that information a lot quicker and to do the bureaucratic paperwork so that I can actually turn around and have a chat with you because that's what Mm. mental health is all about. It's about connection and building that rapport. And unfortunately, when we have, you know, so much to manage in life and in GP appointments as well. People often come in with several things, which is another no-no if you can manage that to try and come in <laughs> just for your mental health. Um, It means that we can talk and if we can talk and if I can listen to you and get where you're coming from and give you a specific action plan for you when you walk out the door, you feel much better about things. I feel better about things as a clinician and we get better outcomes. So sometimes preparing ahead of time, allows for benefits on both sides, to be honest. So, we'll link that to the show notes and um, everyone can download that and fill it out before they go in to see their GP. Uh, So, yeah, it's a great resource.
0: Yeah, I agree because then, like you mentioned, when you can spend more time chatting and connecting, Mm -hmm. that's the biggest um, win you'll have in that appointment. And so, it's on your website, thecloudgp.com.au, but we will put a link in there as well because, I kind of love that your patients can all do it, but now everybody's patients yes. can do this yeah. beforehand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's awesome. Yeah. And so then tell me a little bit more um, about the um, course or your program. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So I suppose where it came from is me being that GP that does a lot of mental health and saw my lovely patients and got them motivated and got them to, you know, they came in asking for help and then then being lost and not knowing where to turn and what to do. And I've done a little bit of psychology training, like I said, which was fantastic because I could start my patients on that journey. Mm. But then, like you said, there are a lot of people out there that left just twiddling thumbs, I suppose, which is awful. So we created um, a signature course. So the company's name is the class, but the signature course is called a online self-directed mental health program for anyone who's struggling with symptoms of depression or anxiety, or they've gone in to see their GP, they've got their psychology referral and they're sort of now waiting around. So the program covers lots of different things. It covers, uh, what depression and anxiety is and a good understanding of your condition because if you understand your condition and you understand why you've got it and and what we need to do to fix it, you're more likely to engage with therapy and management and all of that along down the track. So it's about building the foundation. So we talk about what depression and anxiety is. We talk about that medical workup so that for those that do our program who haven't seen a GP, so some people might enroll because they want to do that before they see the GP, that's completely fine as well. They can understand the benefits of seeing a GP in that medical workup. We talk about lifestyle interventions. So we talk about diet, exercise and sleep. And we talk about in really practical evidence-based sort of terms of how that can obviously be impacted by you having a mental health issue. But also there are things you can do to improve that stuff, which will then have run-on effects in terms of improving your symptoms. And then the second consult is all about skill building, which is the bit I love. So it's about giving you the skills to be able to help yourself. So problem-solving therapy, a introduction to cognitive behavioural therapy and some mindfulness exercises, and you can start implementing them at home. You can start, you know, if you're someone that stresses out in the evenings and can't sleep well, you can start using those skills to be able to um, overcome those worries and stressors. And then the last consult is all about social connection It's about helping family and friends support someone with depression and anxiety because that's a big part of management as well.
0: Mm. You might
1: have a parent or a friend who's trying to help or a partner, but they're not quite helping and trying to push you and ask you too many questions. So it's a whole resource for those uh, around us to help us uh, look after you. And the last bit is a bit about suicide safety, which is a Mm. really important topic. You might not be at that point. I hope that you're not. And if you are, definitely coming to see a GP. But it's a chat I have with everyone, you know, even those that are right at the beginning, because if we have an action plan from the start and if we have a chat from the beginning, if you were to ever find yourself in that awful space with negative spiralling thoughts um, where you're considering ending a life, you've already know what to do. We've already gone through the crisis support sort of lines in Australia. We've already gone through what you can do as an individual and who your supports are that you can reach out to and all of that. So that's something we do with with everyone. So, yeah, it's, it's a great resource. It's a fantastic course because it is self-directed. You mm. can do it in your own time and space. You can do it at home in your lounge room or you can do it at the park on the laptop or listen to it on your iPhone. Uh, it's a video sort of format. And the lovely thing about it is that it's not overwhelming. A lot of the time people come in and, you know, we might suggest that they do a six- to eight-week course and people just go, look, I don't have the time to do that right now. I can't commit to that. My, You know, I'm already feeling overwhelmed with everything and I feel like I'm drowning. I can't commit to that. So this course is, you know, it's one and a half hours of video content time and we recommend that you complete it over a few days, so three Mm. to four days. um, Right. It's short. It's achievable. And that's what we need at that point is some Short, achievable steps to help you learn practically and to get the ball rolling.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think as you talk about it, it sounds like it. I can see it really fits with your um, value of advocating for empowering patients because it provides by providing the information they can understand what's happening, and then the, the strategies which they can do themselves, and they understand why. And it's really meeting the need at that time, which is a time of feeling overwhelmed. Um, and you're right, you need something little that you can just use to start making small changes that snowball into feeling better in the long run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what ultimately what we want, right, is we want people to start feeling better and people want to start feeling better. They don't want to wait for things to get worse. No one's got time to wait around for relationships and work and relationships with kids and all that to, to worse, and we want action. And so there are practical things you can do. Most certainly this isn't a an alternative to the amazing one-to-one care that psychology providers provide with um, our patients because, like I said before, we're treating the person on a condition. Mm. But there is a lot that we can do in that time before Uh, to really optimise the situation and get you feeling better and reduce symptoms so that you can go out there and be um, an amazing parent and have a happy relationship and achieve success at work and and all those things. So, yeah, you don't need a um, a GP referral, any referral to enrol in the program. It's online. It's there 24-7. You just pop on the website, um, which we'll link to below. And yeah, it's 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 doable, and that's a it's a big thing when you are feeling overwhelmed to have something you know that you can achieve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you've summed it up perfectly there. Um, and the course <laughs> is called. Um, I'm just trying to find first steps to overcoming depression and anxiety. I know you yeah. mentioned it before, but Zoom was being a bit difficult, so I wanted to say it again. First steps to overcoming depression and anxiety. Um, and so that's on your yeah. website as well, but we'll also put a link in the, the notes um, just to make it easy for people because yeah. that's what we're all about, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's what we want. Yeah, we want easy steps. We want easy things that we can we can deliver yep. and have a good sort of outcome. That's yep. exactly right.
0: It's often my um, line with kids, if you make it easy, they'll do it. And so it's the same, but we're not that different as adults.
1: We're not different at all. I'd say that even more so for adults. I think as we grow up, um, you know, things life gets more complicated. There's more pressures. We've got jobs to do and other people to look after. And making it easy and making mental health accessible is, is a big thing. And, you know, we're in a different age now. We... Most certainly there's a lack of resources, there's a lack of GPs, there's a lack of psychologists. Mm. And we're in a very sort of world where if we give people education and, and evidence-based therapy that they can then take on and learn and do themselves, then great. I have no issues with people getting better from yeah. from advice wherever they're getting it from, right? Yep. And so this really helps with that aspect of things of you being empowered to, to help yourself.
0: Yes, definitely. I couldn't agree more. And I think today is going to, Going to have really helped um, parents that I know know how to prepare for this consult, and that's um, just made their lives a little bit easier. So, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, We've spoken about busy lives, I'm sure you've got people to look after and care for as well. So, I'll let you go for today. But, yeah, thank you so much again.
1: My absolute pleasure. You have a lovely day.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parent Like a Psychologist. If you found it helpful, please share on Instagram so other parents can benefit too and tag me at Leanne Tran Psychology so that I can say a big thank you. Head over to leannetran.com.au to join the village for bite-sized psychology tips straight to your inbox. I really hope this podcast has brought a new perspective and you a step closer towards a calm parent and a thriving child. Have a delightful day.